There are despots and dictators, political manipulators. There are bluebirds with the intellects of fleas. There are kings and catty tyrants who are so lacking in refinements. Maybe better see this swinging from the tree. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Academy Award Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host, Stephen Buja, and joining me, as always, is the Lord of 10,000 years, the one and only Matthew Marchetti. <laughs> I don't even know. I shouldn't even respond. I should just say, you should you just see me bowing. I shouldn't yep. even... It's an, audio, it's an audio podcast. It's an audio podcast. I, 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 can, I can describe what... His Majesty Rust, is is, is doing. I'm bowing and I'm wearing beautiful flowing robes, with uh, with with very long sleeves that you flail about. Yes. In a in a, in a adorable yet slightly bratty bratty manner. So. Yes, that's actually <laughs> kind of close to pretty much everything I do. It's adorable yet slightly bratty. <laughs> um, Matt, how are you doing this week? Oh, I'm fantastic. Um, yeah, it was just a kind of a long work week. Um, but I've been getting through some. Movie watching, uh, including in, including the film we're going to discuss today. Um, so I just had some some good experiences, and in uh, in one in particular, it was kind of just it was a it was a cool experience, but it was also just a neat kind of um, revelation I had. So I, I think Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, my wife and I Tuesday or Wednesday night, my wife and I watched this um, film called Beyond the Gates. It's uh, it just came out on Tuesday of last week. It's a horror film about like everything late '80s, early '90s nostalgia, particularly like VHS board games. One of the things I think like a really oh, untapped yeah. avenue. Yeah, yeah. Everyone goes, "Oh yeah, I remember those." Um, so it's basically about these these brothers who find a um, VHS board game that their father kind of had like secreted away in this um, video store, and he's been missing. And you come to find out that the the board game is possessed and kind of wants people's souls and and all that it's it's very fun i liked That's, it so liked so it it's much. like wait that sounds like both tron and jumanji yeah yeah i, I had okay. made note that it sounded a lot like jumanji and I, when i wrote my review for it on i think either wednesday or thursday but the cool bit was um i was writing the review and i i always try to include everybody that i can find on instagram who's involved in the movie actors directors writers musicians whoever's involved because i think it's just kind of a it's a fun way to do it and it just it's more like um i don't know organic than just kind of liking them afterwards and doing things like that i kind of like giving them credit in the review so the particular director from this film beyond the gates his name is um jackson stewart he's a younger guy and he he he's liked a few of my things before so i figured i'd get a good response and um they had this big signing in la and, and he hadn't said anything about the review and i just noticed i was going to type a nice comment about how you know i was excited that the movie was getting some press and it was cool and i said yo check out my review and and he said oh yeah i'll go check it out where is it and i told him and he went and he went he went and he read it and then he he liked it and he commented back on his page and we had this kind of just 10 minutes of back and forth that was just kind of a neat social media experience because you know 15 20 years ago i never would have spoken to anybody involved in <laughs> anything like that. that it's just neat to, it feels it just felt really cool but the really interesting part was and you could speak to this a little bit too, because I, I had already talked to you about this way back when we first started this a couple of weeks ago, or seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago, or something like that. Um, right after I had this conversation, I looked back at my phone and I got another like on the Beyond the Gates review, 
and it was the um, his name's gonna escape me now, and I feel bad. But the the gentleman who wrote and I believe directed Crash, Paul Haggis. Yeah. So so, and and you you explained to me a little bit about that. But I thought it was really neat uh, that he liked this kind of indie movie. And I thought in my head, like, what if, like, and this is obviously, you know, this is a, a long shot. But what if, like, he liked this movie, then he saw it, he really liked it, he was really impressed. He's got some clout in Hollywood to a degree. I mean, Crash notwithstanding, we'll talk about Crash. But um, <laughs> he's got some clout in Hollywood. And what if he, like, loved it so much that he got in touch with this other director and he hooked him up with some huge gig. And in my head, I was like, Obviously, this is, is a long shot for it to happen, but isn't that just such a great possibility that kind of this this what we're doing and what what Instagram can potentially do in the social media? Like it's a it's a positive kind of outlet for social media. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's it's just that's just an interesting kind of revelation I had that there's this like really slim chance, but a chance nonetheless um, that people can kind of connect this way. And I just thought it was a nice like boost up for social media not being a terrible place where. People do terrible things all the time. I mean, it is, but <laughs> well, it is a tool to be used. Yeah. But we all we often hear about, you know, people getting depressed about reading other people's social media pages and shitty influencers and all the all the negative stuff that we forget that it is actually a very wonderful way to stay in touch and make connections with people. Certainly, um, certainly with Instagram, Instagram and Twitter being sort of a like you know you don't have really a, like a friend group per mm. se. Um, so that that's wonderful. I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that you know you had a you had a you had a positive experience, especially on a positive experience on one of your reviews. I always like it when you hear back from one of the creators or yeah or just you just get something good from somebody who was there. That it, right. it feels like we're not just sort of shouting into the void. I was just a lot. Say that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just yeah. It was like all right. I mean, I don't I write these just as an outlet to talk about movies and to share it with people. But it, it is really neat when you can make that connection with, with like you said some of the people who created it so i thought it was a neat experience and it was connected a bit to um the paul haggis thing because he he started liking my posts right after we started um doing this and yeah. he likes pretty much now everything i do which i find really amusing for some reason <laughs> like i just imagine him on his phone just liking all these american ninja films i'm posting and it just, something about that really just makes my day <laughs> What I, Paul Haggis? What are you doing? You like yeah. are you just you you're, you're raking in that crash and or Casino Royale money? What's what's happening? I, I, I don't know. I just I just thought it was really interesting and really funny. <laughs> and cool. <laughs> Anyways, I have absolutely no segue for that because this week's <laughs> movie is the 1987 Best Picture winner, The Last Emperor, directed by the great Italian Italian director Bernardo Bertolucci, starring John Lone, Joan Chen. Peter O'Toole, mm. Victor Wong, uh, I love him from Big Little oh, Big yeah. Trouble, Little China, and he's 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 uh, Tremors, I believe too. He was the guy in Tremors. Yes, yes. he is. Yeah. Yes, he is. Maggie Han and the always scene the scene stealing Rick Young. Oh my god, <laughs> horrifying man! <laughs> <laughs> so terrifying. It's a it's a who's who of Asian actors plus Academy Award winner Peter O'Toole. Um, yeah. yeah, Matt, had you ever seen this movie before? So I I had not, although I felt like I had because I just feel like some of the images from the film were so iconic that I I always had seen them on like um, highlight reels at the beginning of DVDs or Blu-rays. Um, and the poster, I always remember seeing the poster in video stores or maybe on the VHS box themselves. Mm-hmm. And it, it would always, it always looked so imposing to me because it came in the double VHS case. Ooh, I knew it was a long yeah. movie. 
as a young kid, I was like, oh, that's that's scary. And I'm like, why is that little boy so serious? And he's so little. <laughs> little kids aren't serious. What's going on here? Um, so I had always had interest in it, um, particularly the you know the cultural stuff, but I had never seen it. So it was nice to finally see it. Yes, and you just to be clear, we did catch the hundred and sixty-five-ish minute version, right. not the made for you know. It's a re- it was a release in theaters, hundred sixty-five minutes, but they also cut out so much that they were able to re-release it as a miniseries some years later. Um, Generally, on this show, try to look at the version that won the best picture, the one that was released in theaters. Obviously, we made an exception for Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, because why would you watch the theatrical version? That's just, just you just shouldn't. Right. But for the most <laughs> part, we will we will try to adhere to that. Um, my experience with this film, I feel like there was a time when I was very young when I ha- was watching a lot of the Oscar movies. This must have come up, and I must have gotten that VHS from the local video store. I think, or no, it was a Hollywood video. Yeah, Hollywood video yeah. back in the day, and seen it, and really none of this felt familiar. Yes, agreed on the cinematography. Definitely, like that that scene towards the beginning with all the um, the monks, like sort of lying down mm. there with the cool headdresses. I'm like, I've seen mm-hmm. that before, but not much of it. Um, stuck out so i will just approach this movie as a film that i had never seen and it's a first time for me more or less ah it picked up a bunch of academy awards at the uh, ceremony that year and we are going to take a short break collect ourselves when we come back we're going to discuss that ceremony and 1987 in general which i think you will agree had some stuff going for it <laughs> so stick around. I said I wasn't going, and the man said, you just have to go. You can't snub the Academy. So I came down here to do, give the award. I said, but I just feel that we have to be recognized as a people. I just want you to know I'm going to give this award, but black people will not ride the caboose of society, and we will not bring up the rear anymore, and I want you to recognize us. He said, well, fine, it's done. I said, no, when do I have to be? They said, well, you don't have to get there until about 9 or 10 because it's the last award of the evening. So <laughs> I'm here now. And in keeping with a great old Hollywood tradition, the best picture, nominees for best pictures are uh, Broadcast News. In which showbiz comes to the newsroom, James L. Brooks, producer. Fatal Attraction. In which adultery comes to scare you to death, Stanley R. Jaffe and Sherry Lansing producers. Hope and Glory. In which the Second World War comes to England, John Borman producer. The Last Emperor. which the modern era comes to China. Jeremy Thomas, producer. And the winner is... Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I know before all of you. <laughs> Moonstruck, in which fashion comes to Brooklyn. Patrick Palmer and Norman Jewison, producers. 
Are there any more? <laughs> they blink their thing like, now, now! Uh, and the winner is... The Last Emperor won nine Academy Awards at the 1987 Academy Awards. <laughs> In addition to Best Picture, Matt, what other categories did it win? Well, let me tell you, Steve. I'm just gonna do, I'm gonna talk like a game show host the rest of no, I'm not <laughs> gonna do that. That's terrible. So other than best picture, <laughs> it picked up uh, best director for the aforementioned Bernardo Bertolucci. I think a, a well deserved one. Um, More like a career writing. win, we'll say. Less Tango yes. in Paris, et cetera. Yes, yeah. Uh, also best writing. Um, I love these these really like stilted uh, categories. Best writing, comma screenplay based on material from another medium. So it was based on a based on an autobiography, I believe, or co- at least uh, something. Some something. It was adapted it's, screenplay. It won adapted screenplay. That's. It was a book that somebody wrote. Uh, it's somewhere. Yeah, from autobiography from Emperor to Citizen, the autobiography of the guy's name. Puyi. Okay. So that's pretty cool. Um, best cinematography, which I, I um, have a have a little special place in my heart for Vittorio Storaro, who who was the uh, DP on um, one of my favorite directors, Dario Argento, he's an Italian horror director. It's uh-huh. his first film, um, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. He was the DP for that too. Okay. And so whenever I see that name, I always know it's a such a class with Storaro. Yeah. So. But um, for those who maybe are not as familiar with Argento, he also um, did the cinematography for both Apocalypse Now, uh, oh, which yeah. is stunning, and the 1981 movie Reds, directed by Warren Beatty. So, uh, he is uh, a a legend in the in the cinematography community for sure. I think he also was the DP for Bullworth, which makes sense because that was Warren Beatty as well. Yeah. A really different kind of movie, which is interesting. <laughs> Uh, so cinematography we talked about, uh, best art direction, set direction by um, three Italians who I'm not going to bother with. Uh, lots, uh, lots, uh, of, uh, lots of vowels and yeah, um, they have great names though. Uh, best costume design, obviously. James, I don't even know how to pronounce that. I mean, it sounds simple, but it's like Aikison or Aikison, who knows, but well done stuff there. Uh, best sound, best film editing, uh-huh. and uh, best music original, best music original score, which I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think... The, the Japanese artist was also an actor in the film. I believe um, so. And But there's a more important name on that yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right in the middle. Sandwiched in between. You can you can talk about him no. if you want. That is David fucking Byrne. I have that written in my notes. David fucking Byrne. David Byrne, uh, lead singer and creator of Talking Heads, one of the uh, icon- most iconic bands of all time. Just just fantastic. That that blew me out. That blew me away. I think I must have seen it in the opening credits when they listed everybody, and it just wa- washed over me. So when <laughs> doing the research, I was like, "Oh shit!" Fucking <laughs> David Byrne did this. Awesome. So, I, we, um, we, yeah, hmm? we can come. We can come back to this. Maybe we talk about the movie specifically. But there is a scene in the film where a house burns down, and I was screaming <laughs> the lyrics to "Burning Down the House" during the sequence. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very inappropriate moment to sing that song, in a way, but also an incredibly appropriate moment to sing that song because it is exactly what was happening. That, that works. Um, so I think we, I I feel like getting getting so getting the O and the E got is actually very difficult. But I feel like so. But David Burns got that. I'm like ah, uh, he 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 could he could go for it if he wanted to. He he totally mm-hmm. could. Now anyway, so. The Last Emperor won nine. It was nominated for nine, which makes The Last Emperor one of three films to uh, sweep the 
uh, sweep all of its uh, categories. The first was uh, Gigi, back in, I believe, 1958. And the next would be uh, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, which went 11 for 11 in 2003. Jesus. Yeah, very, very impressive resume right there. And it had to get through some competition. Mm. What else was for, up for Best Picture that year? Yeah, a bunch of good movies. Um, maybe maybe on the surface slighter than The Last Emperor, but good movies nonetheless. So we had uh, Broadcast News. It's a great great comedy. Really, really, really funny movie. Mm -hmm. um, Fatal Attraction, which always kind of blows my mind. I always remember <laughs> really liking that movie. It's a good movie, but when I see it nominated for Best Picture, I'm always like, wow, I don't know if I remembered that. But yeah. good on you guys, because that's a damn good movie. Um Hope and Glory. I think that's the kind of semi-autobiographical right. film that John Borman directed, right? That's yeah. I I have a World War II comedy drama. It's yes. it's set during the London Blitz in uh, yes, the forties. Yep. And John Borman's great. He's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I hesitate to talk about the last one because there's a specific actor in it, and I feel like my wife's somewhere around here <laughs> telling me to snap <laughs> snap out of it. But the, the last film it was up against was was Moonstruck. <laughs> With Cher and the the ever insane and somewhat likable, but also completely unlikable Nicolas Cage, <laughs> amongst other people. Yeah. Um, your, a, a, again, a very funny movie. Yeah, it's it's great. It's um John Patrick Shanley, I believe. It's great, great writer. Uh, at your house, if you say Nicolas Cage three times, does does Steph appear and just like start start going off on 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 how amazing he is, or like is there? Should we? We don't, we don't. We don't. We don't. We don't do that. We don't. We don't test that particular urban legend. Um, <laughs> like if she appeared, I I would be okay with it. But if, what if Nicolas Cage appears, like Candyman? Oh like, yeah, and I don't look. I don't want him in this house. All right. I mean, he's the only actor. Well, there's probably other actors, but he's one of the only actors I think I would actually turn down if he showed up. <laughs> like no. No, you that, keep your pamphlets, yeah. Jehovah's Witness. You keep yeah. your pamphlets. I don't. Yeah, that's um, in. that's. That is a quick ticket to divorce right there, my friend. I know. Unless she's downstairs, I'm up here. She can't hear this until it goes online. So. Okay. I will <laughs> I will do some judicious editing. <laughs> I won't it's do any editing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, were some, uh, there were some notable wins this year at the, uh, the Oscars. Michael Douglas won his second Academy Award, first for acting with uh, the portrayal of Gordon Gekko on Wall Street, one of the all-time great performances, I think. Cher! Academy Award winner Cher. Speaking of egots, blows my mind. John Connery picked it up for the Untouchables. Maybe he didn't so much deserve it, but he's Sean Connery. He just he should have an he should have an Oscar. And uh, what uh, one of my one of my favorite things to say is that it's Academy Award winning "Dirty Dancing" because it won uh, best original song. I've had the time of my life. I just. Um, I, I saw that recently, and I was I was dismissive. I'm like, "How's oh, that dancing movie with Patrick Swayze?" My wife was like, "No, no, it is a it is a film. It is about things." I'm like, "I don't believe you." Watch it. I'm like, "Oh shit, there is some stuff happening. This is dark yep. and depressing." And yep. the dancing doesn't seem that much fun anymore. <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's they're dancing out of anger. <laughs> oh god, so so much so much anger. Finally, Billy Wilder received a lifetime achievement award this year because. Yeah. Uh, very well deserved. Very well deserved. Yes. But, but Matt, sure, that's a fine. That's a fine list of movies that were nominated. Um, in talking about 1987 in general, I have in my notes when I think of 80s movies, I undoubtedly think of at least half the movies on this list. Okay, audience, mm -hmm. I want you to. 
Think of a movie you love from the 80s. Okay, just keep it in your mind. We're going to go through the list and tell me if it's on there because I'm guessing, I'm guessing there is a chance that it is. <laughs> uh, Matt, what, what are some of the ones you got on here? Oh, I have a I have a big, <laughs> sexy '80s filled list. Um, all right, yeah. Let me just I'll just ramble through them. I feel like I need a a big breath for this. Uh, so I had Lethal Weapon, Predator, The Princess Bride, Good Morning Vietnam, RoboCop, Full Metal Jacket, The Untouchables, Wall Street, Dirty Dancing, Raising Arizona, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Less Than Zero, Spaceballs, Inner Space, Roxanne. Empire of the Sun, with Nail and I, Masters of the Universe. That's horrible. That's just me. That was me from then and there. I got it on my list. <laughs> okay, good, good. And then uh, Adventures in Babysitting, The Running Man, and uh, Hamburger Hill was the last film. Okay. Uh, I, I'll, I'll add uh, Evil Dead 2. Mm. Um, over the Top. Which I, oh, yeah. Just like, did, uh, did you say Near Dark? No, I had my uh, I had the horror films on a separate list. Oh, okay, okay, oh, okay. I'm sorry. That I'm one's sorry. on there though. Yeah, you're dark. Okay. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. Horror films on a separate list and uh, Monster Squad. I don't know where Monster Squad falls. Is that horror film? It's like I, I it's like it a, it's either. like a seventy minute movie or something. But whatever. It is very short. So, um, yeah, that's um, that is a fantastic list of films. And Thanks. looking and looking looking at this, looking at this list, looking at what was nominated and what has actually stood the test of time, I gotta say. I think the Academy messed up. Fatal Attraction, I think, has has endured. Hope and Glory, probably not so much. Moonstruck, maybe. Broadcast News is great. But uh, a lack of Full Metal Jacket, I get that it's a oh. more serious version of Stripes, but, man, that's a, that's um, Kubrick uh, on, on top. The Untouchables, amazing. I would yeah. say um, it's been, okay, it's been years since I've seen it. Empire of the Sun, very underrated Spielberg. Mm-hmm. It's about like you could you could swap out Last Emperor and Empire of the Sun, and I think I'm like you have like essentially the same thing. Princess, mm-hmm. Princess Bride is uh, top five films all time for me. I just it's essential, right? And like, and James L. Brooks also did Broadcast News. I'm like, and you you nominated Broadcast News over Princess Bride? Oh man, it's on uh, in Wall Street. Fucking even Wall Street. Jaws the Revenge, <laughs> sure. Like maybe we shouldn't nominate that, but just I love the idea of a shark that is seeking revenge. <laughs> He's pissed this time. It's, it's personal. It's <laughs> just it's a it's, it's a friggin' it's a friggin' amazing year, and we haven't even touched on the horror films apparently, or all the horror, horror films. What else? What else is there? Well, there was so I mean a lot of big stuff. You mentioned two already: Evil Dead Two, obviously, and uh, well, you mentioned three. I'm sorry, the, the Monster Squad, which is a, which is a, a hilarious uh, kind of Goonies riff that I was closer to as a child than I was with the Goonies just because it had monsters in it. So I was super yeah. into it. Uh, Near Dark, you mentioned, which was a great movie featuring the late, great Bill Paxton. Um, Hellraiser. Yeah. Oh, uh, West Craven movie. connection. Yeah, Wes Craven. Is, is it, well, he's everywhere. Um, yeah. Prince of Darkness, which is a John Carpenter film that came out that year that also has Victor Wong in it. Um, and I believe Dennis Dunn, who's also in this, and he was in Big Trouble in Little China, too. He was Kurt Russell's, like, sidekick. Uh, he's great. Um, I had The Lost Boys, the yeah. fucking Lost Boys. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. The sound, Everything about that movie is just is just fantastic. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, one of the best sequels of all time, Dream Warriors, featuring one of the best movie theme songs of all time, oh. Dream Warriors by Dawkins. <laughs> <laughs> Dokken literally beats Freddy Krueger in the music video with the power of rock and roll. They electrocute <laughs> their 
their guitars, I believe. And he says, like, who are these guys? Um, and then some, some smaller but uh, no less great horror films, just for people out there that like this stuff. Uh, the Gate, uh, The Stepfather with John Locke from Lost. Uh, that's his name. Uh, Angel Heart with Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro. It's yep. a really weird sexy voodoo-y it's great uh bad taste i believe came out in 1987 too it's like speaking oh of peter jackson disgusting and awesome movie um and then some just some personal favorites of mine i know they are because i put i put the movie dolls twice on this list for some reason <laughs> dolls is Stuart gordon he's a good uh hp lovecraft kind of um fanatic street trash one of the most hilarious disgusting films you'll ever see uh from a whisper to a scream it's a great horror anthology Blood Rage, Blood Rage. It's a it, if you were if you thought you were missing out on a Thanksgiving-based slasher, look no further than Blood Rage. It's amazing. And then the last, last but not least, a Rock and Roll Nightmare, one of the best horror heavy metal films that, that ever existed. Um, you should see all these movies, even if you don't like horror. You should just see them all. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of good stuff, Steve. A lot of good yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's 1987. So, um, audience, I have to ask. Were you thinking of one of those movies? Write in. Tell us if you were. Because I bet you were. I mean, come on. Predator, Lethal Weapon, uh, fucking Robocop. Come on. Come on, man. It's, you're fine. You got it. Good. Anyways, so that was 1987. That was the 1987 Oscars where Last Emperor cleaned house. But mm. you're probably asking. So what's the deal with The Last Emperor? Well, I'm glad you did ask, because we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to tell you all of our thoughts on this film. So please, stay tuned. Matt, for those unfamiliar with The Last Emperor, could you give us a brief plot synopsis of the film? Yeah. So, I mean, it, the, if you look at the IMDb synopsis, it's just like five, six sentences, five, six words. Uh, it, it just says the story of the final emperor of China. And that's honestly kind of like it's, it's really, really accurate. I mean, it follows, uh, I believe, from 1908, basically up to present in the film. So yeah. in the, when the film was made, so yeah, 1987 87. or so. Um, in a lot of different cool ways that we can talk about. But yeah, it really is the story of um, the final emperor of China, Pu Yi, and his um, really, really tumultuous reign, or I use reign with, with air quotes there because um, there, it's, it's an ironic reign or a really sad kind of thing that's going on. Um, that's, that's my take on it. I mean, there's plenty to say, but... Yeah, it is. That, that description is both very, very ac- accurate and also super vague. <laughs> It is, it is a biopic, ladies and gentlemen, about uh, Pu Yi, who's played by many different actors, but most notably by John Lone. Uh, and it follows, his, it follows him throughout the years from his, uh, we, we could say from his coronation, but really it is his, his imprisonment because there's one thing Bertolucci is driving the fuck home in this film. 
it is that Hu Yi is a prisoner wherever he goes. He is a prisoner in the Forbidden City, the capital of China at the time, with 9,999 rooms, um, which this was the first Western production to ever be able to uh, film inside of the Forbidden City, so they milk it for all it's worth. He is a prisoner when he is in exile, because he is in exile. He's sort of stuck in uh, Tientsin. He is a prisoner when he becomes emperor again of the Japanese province of Manchukuo shortly before 19, uh, shortly before the World War II breaks out. And finally, he is a prisoner when he is in prison by the <laughs> Russian communists or the mm-hmm. Chinese, some some one of the communists, the chi- the the, chi- the the Maoists, I suppose. So mm-hmm. it's just um, we get it, we get it. Uh, I, it does it does work. I think how does that how does that how does that how did that affect you? Did you were you getting a little tired of it or did you find some nice little symmetry uh throughout the film? Oh, that's interesting. I actually I had I had read a little bit about the movie post or yeah, post seeing or maybe maybe as I was watching it that some people thought the maybe first hour and a half um kind of flowed better. And I, I would say that, you know, editing wise and the way the story moves, I think that's true, but I actually found myself growing more and more attached to the Puyi character as the film went on, particularly in the final maybe like half hour or 40 minutes. Um, so I think I think every time I might have felt, I mean, he's a tragic figure throughout, but I think any time I, I started to feel bad for him, he would do something really prideful or selfish. And I would just kind of say like, you know what, you, you do to an extent, to some extent, deserve some of this. I mean, some of it you do not, but, you know, when he's, when he's very young, obviously it's just crazy. He has no control over what's going on. But I think that he kind of sets himself up, and I, I think he, he wants to, he claims he wants to be free, but I think kind of a prisoner is the only thing he knows how to be. Right. Um, and I think that's where he's the most comfortable in a way, even if it's even if it's a terrible situation, like like the kind of flash forwards we see to 1950 and later. Yeah, he, 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 he normalizes his captivity but so because he, well he is say a captive air quotes in the forbidden city as an emperor he gets to do whatever the hell he wants except mm-hmm. of course leave so that's literally the definition of a prisoner you are just sort of you're stuck in stuck in one place but yes i have to agree that they want us to make him some tragic figure but he constantly mm-hmm. just does stupid little dickish things to people even yeah. when even when he is in prison literally in prison he's got just it's got he has nothing he has nothing he is still uh, he still has people get his toothbrush and he gets mad mm-hmm. at them when they don't put the toothpaste on it and he's just sitting right there he doesn't know how to he ha- he doesn't know how to tie his shoes he doesn't know how to turn the water off um he's uh he's a the most powerful powerless individual of mm. all time i think and it's um and I, you know, I think there is a way to make this character, a, a character without agency, interesting, and that is by giving him a strong supporting cast of characters mm-hmm. who have their own arcs, who have to go through their own things. But I never felt like the movie wanted us to focus on them. Like the wife, I think is could have been a very interesting character, but they breezed by her. R.J. Uh, Reginald R.J. Johnson, who's the English tutor played by Peter O'Toole comes in and then comes out. And I'm not 
entirely sure why, except for the fact that this is what happened. And so, you know, this is the way Puyi learned how to um, be westernized. He, he, he learned about English and all that. And I, mm-hmm. I, and yes, I appreciate the movie not using Peter O'Toole as the framing character. They're literally, they're actually focused on the, on this Asian character, this, the, you know, this last emperor, but I, they don't give me enough to really like, like I care about, I care about him. Yes. But I, I don't really root for him. Like, mm. because I know when he breaks free, he's just going to be, he's going to fuck it up again somehow. Like he, <laughs> wants, he wants, he wants to break free. when he finally does break free. He's given, he's given leave. He is permitted to leave prison at the end. And we're, I know we're just jumping around, but you know, it's a 30 year old movie. Uh, we don't actually see how he gets to where he is. We don't learn how he, you know, how did he become a guard? He did, this man has not done literally anything himself for his whole life except maybe croon some songs, and yet now he is gardening. How the, that that is literally a story I want to know. I think there's a fascinating story there of an emperor who becomes a gardener, and you just breeze by it. Maybe it's shown in the extended edition. But it's not in, not in here, and I found it to be a cop out because you just wanted to hit all the major historical points. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I, I, as I said before, I I, I found myself uh, I don't know if liking is the right word, but I found myself um, connecting with him a little bit more as he got older. And 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 you know, and what scenes in particular? Like, so anything anything I guess post the, the the kind of what you were just speaking about the gardening scene when he's that last maybe twenty minutes um, where he's really kind of. He feels very humbled to me, particularly in the final sequence. I thought the final, the final two scenes were really um, well done, and kind of a, you know, and they were touching. There was a, there was a sense of like, you know, a little bit of like a mysticism there, and I thought there was kind of an irony um, with the final kind of epilogue scene that takes place, um, you know, about twenty or so years after he has died. Um, and basically, they basically used the same. Um, they, they did the IMDb <laughs> synopsis of his life, right? Like he was born in whatever it was, 190 something or other, 1901 or something like that, and he died in 1967. <laughs> and I was like, right. that was that was basically that's the story of his life. And I feel like that's really. I felt like that moment made the rest of the movie all the more interesting to me because we we look at these, we watch these moments, and we take for granted that a lot of this stuff is going to be forgotten history. And it's going to be boiled down to one line that a tour guide gives to a bunch of tourists. Um, but we just saw everything, and not everything, but we saw a lot of things that that he went through um, in his lifetime. And obviously, there, there there's a lot more going on um, than just he was born and he died. Um, and fortunately, it's kind of the sad moment that we we kind of do that. We reduce kind of people's lives to um, you know birth dates and death dates. Right. And uh, yeah, I, but... I just found that really interesting. Well, I mean, ain't nobody got time for. Uh... Two hour and forty minute minute movie about no, you're right. about a ultimately minor figure of Chinese history who is important only because he was the last one. He he did made no major. I mean, he. I will give him this. He did attempt uh, to change up some of the um, traditions of the Forbidden City, and that's when the house burned down, and you started you started singing burning down the house and whatnot. <laughs> Um, yep. So I, th- I think, I think, I think some reviewers said like, eh, Puyi is interesting, but is he really, is he really three hour epic movie interesting? And I, mm. I kind of agree. They, they make him as compelling as they can be, but his lack of agency, he's, mm. he is, uh, he is a puppet 
he begins a pu- he begins his reign as a puppet and he uh pretty much he almost he almost finishes out his life as a puppet but he's a free man and but they don't do anything with that that i wish i could like him more as a as a character but mm. i i just i just really i just really can't because he is so unlikable at sometimes mm-hmm. like when he's a kid when he, i understand you know, you're gonna be a dick when you're a kid you're gonna like he's a cute kid but you know, he's gonna make his entourage run around in circles chasing after him because like of course if you had the keys to all the clubhouses you do i would i would i would do that so much but as he grows up he just he just he is uh an entitled rich white guy without the whole white guy part. He's just complaining mm-hmm. about yeah. how yeah. bad his life is. And I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. Yeah. I, 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 I get you can't leave. You can't see your mom. That was genuinely um that that was like that was I th- I thought that was a great scene when he was, you know, making his way to the entrance of the uh the city oh, and all yeah. the all the guards ran ahead of him to like block his block his way out. I thought that was very effective, but there were, to me, very few effective scenes between here, between you know, between uh, all the. You get to you get to one, and then it's a half hour of, essentially Chinese history, just sort of being thrown at you for mm-hmm. for for a while. Yeah, but uh, I do have to say, technically speaking, uh, this movie is uh, gorgeous. Mm. It's gorgeous to look at, gorgeous to listen to, just everything about it. Um, do you think that is some of the reason why it was so well received that it's got this classic Hollywood epic feeling to it? Yes. I'm shaking my head. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I do think that, and I, you know, and I guess to, you know, as a disclaimer, I did think that going in. So I was, I was hoping the movie would sort of um, buck my expectations. And I think it did. It did a little bit, particularly particularly in the end, towards the end of the film. Maybe it was just because the movie was ending and it was so long that I was just like, <laughs> you know, it's getting pretty good, but there's only 10 minutes left. It's not too bad. Um, but I, I do think that the, the kind of technical side of the film was was a draw for the Academy and I think for people who saw the film. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. And it's really like, it's like watching kind of a, you know, a History Channel documentary and a film at the same time. And I don't know that it does... I think it does the historical piece better. Um, I would say, you know, we're talking about we're talking about you know Puyi as a character, and I and I would agree with you that he's not terribly interesting. And I don't think Bertolucci or the people involved in this film think that he's necessarily interesting. I think I think the events that happened around him were were what was interesting. You know, the, the changing world and his kind of the irony that the world is changing around him. He. Refuses. wants to change but he can't and he or he can't see what to change he has no ability like you said about his lack of agency um and i'm this is the i was i was i was talking about this earlier but the um in, in roger ebert's quote or roger ebert's um i'm sorry top 10 films from 1987 he had a little quote about the film and he's basically i'm kind of paraphrasing but he said uh in Puyi's life is reflected the central development of 20th century history how history ceased to be the stories—the stories of individuals—and became the stories of societies, and I think that's that's exactly. He's not like this Genghis Khan type figure that's that's or Alexander the Great shaping history by himself. He's he wants to be that person. That's why he kind of you know he constantly, you know, wants to be this emperor, and he can't because the world is changing around him. He he can't change the world anymore. The world kind of changes him. 
uh, in a lot of ways. And I think that's really that part is really fascinating. I, I think I read that piece and I just went, that's really interesting. That gives you like a frame for the whole um, feel of the movie or the, the whole idea of the movie or the whole kind of scope of the movie. Um, so I like that quote, and I, that really kind of helped me ground the history and his character a little bit more. So not likable, but, yeah. um, you know, and I, and I wouldn't say the events happening around him are necessarily likable, but um, they're interesting. And yeah. they, they, there's kind of a through line that we can see to, to more modern era in, you know, in the country. They, they talk about the, uh, the, atom, the atomic bombs on, in, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and there's kind of a straight line you can draw from... Puyi's kind of decision-making or lack of decision-making with the Japanese, that kind of leads directly to that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not insinuating that he causes that or he had some, he had some agency in causing that, but I like that they kind of, they sort of connect these pieces because you're watching it and you're like, this is really disconnected. I don't feel like I can make sense of this, but then you see that and you go, well, wait a minute, this really isn't as disconnected as, as we all feel. And our, our histories as cultural, our cultural histories aren't as disconnected as we might think they are, or we, or we like to think they are. Um, I don't know if that was a lot of rambling, but no, I just no, felt that's like... that's a that's a great amount of rambling. It is a that does reframe it. Roger Ebert, you know, he has a, he has a, he has a way of doing that. He has a so, way, yeah. so does that make for a compelling narrative, though? The yeah, like I think I think movies work best when they focus on the characters first and not necessarily the greater context that mm-hmm. they arise with them. So you should focus that first, and the rest will come. So did ultimately did this film succeed in being compelling enough for was the character compelling enough for you was his relationships was his arc compelling enough for you to care about the uh, events that are occurring the world events that are occurring around it while you were watching it other than a few scenes I'm thinking particularly of the scene when he uh refuses to sign the treaty, I believe it's a treaty, or it's the, he, I think he's signing over the new prime minister, and he kind of, he's trying to give this speech, and everyone just leaves, yeah. and it's very, it's very tragic, and you really feel how, he, and he really feels how useless he is in that moment, um, so other than that scene, I would say no, because the movie could have been about someone living outside the Forbidden City, and watching a, a, a you know, a commoner's life from 1908 to 1967, and I think you could have seen all the historical moments through their eyes. Um, I mean, yes, it would be a little different because you, you wouldn't be directly involved in some of it necessarily, but it could be just as interesting with someone else. Um, if that makes sense that I feel like you, you get the historical elements, but you wouldn't necessarily need his character um, to frame them. Right. Or, or you could, uh, you could attempt to, you know, dr- dramatize, mm. dramatize, whatever the word is, dramatize Puyi's life to give him, just maybe make him, more interesting, more sympathetic on a personal level. Most mm-hmm. of us aren't um, emperors, uh, right? <laughs> I would assume so, at least. Or I think there are very few left. I'm except, an emperor, except uh, I mean, I know, I know, Matthew Kroll of the only podcast about movies is an emperor. <laughs> yes, but you know, he's, uh, he's few, few and very far between. That uh, where, what was my thought? Um, yeah, mo- uh, most of us aren't emperors, so most of us, I found it like this is a little hard. There were there were moments. There, there are always these little moments where you could re- relate to them, and then there were just not moments where either it was the editing, which the editing is fine. I don't know if it necessarily deserved it. It breezed, it breezed past some of the some of the impact of the decisions. For instance, um, they want us to believe that 
Puyi's wet nurse, who he is uh, taken to the Forbidden City with at the age of three, which, first of all, problem, uh, is his like closest confidant and best friend. But all we ever do really see when we see her is him u- using her for mm-hmm. the express purpose of wet nursing, even when yep. he is eight or something. like eight or eight or yep. nine or ten, which I had to be- I had to believe must have been some there had to have been some sort of waiver the the legal paperwork there for a minor to actually mm-hmm. participate in that act uh well I, you clearly are shooting in another country where the laws are a little are a little tighter but the point is uh, make us to believe that this wet nurse is like her his best friend and i don't ever feel that until she is being spirited away and it mm-hmm. just it just seems like they want it they want to Bertolucci wants to hit all the moments he wants he wants to he wants to biopic this entirely like it, it's walk the line where it's from birth to till death mm. when I find the more effective biopics are something like Lincoln where it's mm. you get a sense of the man uh, through a very short um, short period of time and like you can really develop the story that way as opposed to just trying to hit everything right, this big all idea right at there, yeah. once uh it's 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 Bertolucci so he does you know he 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 spins a, he's spinning a lot of plates some of them fall but he keeps a lot of them up but ultimately mm-hmm. i think it's 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 kind of it kind of loses it um really in the end it's an important movie We'll say it's you know Oscars have a have a tendency to reward important movies, mm. but uh, I, I don't know if we've had this conversation. Does an important movie equal a good movie to you, a compelling movie? Not no, not always. No, not always. I think this is a this is a good example. It's not always compelling, and, and it's pretty infrequently compelling in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, but. I think the you know kind of cultural significance of the film um, being able to shoot in the Forbidden City is super important, and that's that's awesome. I mean, that really makes the movie. And I and I will admit, it's when you watch it and you know that fact, it feels bigger. It feels more important. It feels very. It already feels grand, but knowing that they're able to shoot there and it was the first Western film to shoot there, feels important. Um, and I, and it should. It really should. I'm not I'm not discouraging that. I think that's great, but I don't think that necessarily makes for the best. I mean, I can I could just walk a camera around the Forbidden City, and that would be really cool, but it's not going to be necessarily compelling. If it's you know what I mean, it's not doesn't work that way. Um, not going to be necessarily compelling, or necessarily, and we'll, we'll probably get around to this. It does not it does not necessarily make for best picture material when you right. when you think of that. So, it, you know, the best picture incurs all sorts of burdens upon the film uh, uh, that it is placed upon. Um, so I was I was wondering something. I was watching this and going, all right, this is it's a very it's a very uh, Eastern cast. Uh, lots of you know fa- you know famous Asian actors are in it. Mm. So and it's Bertolucci. He's himself uh, an, an Italian. Why why wasn't this movie shot in Chinese? Oh, I'm so glad I brought this up. I've been been, seething with anger over here about this. I was going to rant so bad. The floor is yours, sir. Okay. Um, Well, I I have a a short answer for, and it's actually actually backed in some fact, but I was thinking the same thing. I have a huge, um, you know, Asian and then Asian American cast, Italian director. But if you look at the producer credits, Jeremy Thomas, he is a Brit. 
And it was his express decision that to make the film more commercialized or whatever, that, that they would have mostly Asian American actors um, who could speak English, but also they had a lot of the actual um, native Chinese actors speaking. And then they were just dubbed over, which I'm sure you noticed some of it was oh. just like, they're not even remotely close to, I think the lip syncing, I think the, the lips, the, the syncing works fine for the most part, but the voices just did not seem natural. And it's a huge, 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 it's a huge, huge. pet peeve of mine. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's an insane pet peeve of mine because if you're going to try to make something really, really, really authentic in this huge um, epic, I keep using the word now, I can't get away from it. This, this epic scope about you know Chinese history, this important moment, and then you cop out by not having them speak in Mandarin. And that's just like, it blows my mind that they don't fucking, they don't fucking commit to that point. And it, it really, I mean, I, after a point, obviously Puyi is being, being tutored and he's going to speak English and some people would speak English because of, because of the British. And it makes total sense that there would be some English spoke in the film. Um, but like, why not have some of the, you know, why not have people speak in, in the native tongue? And some of them, some of them, I'm sure cannot. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're not, they're not, they're not able to speak in that language and, and you wanted to get the right actors. And I, I guess I understand that, but it just feels like, yeah, it feels really strange when I was just occasionally throwing the subtitles on just out of curiosity sake, when some of the actors, the kind of background actors were speaking in Chinese or in Mandarin. And it, all it says is Chinese language spoken inaudible. And I'm like, that's a really strange thing in a movie about the final emperor of China to have the only time you hear Chinese spoken to not have it be subtitled. I don't yeah. think there's any subtitles in the film at all. There, no, the, no, there aren't. They don't. They don't even I, subtitle the Chinese banners or signs that you see. Mm -hmm. So you have no idea, no real idea what the like right. during various marches. You have, like, I don't know what people are really. Oh, they're marching, chanting. But, right? yeah. You don't hear what they're saying, right? And just, just like just, just nothing. Why? I just, and I was I was thinking about this that it's very clearly a movie from a different era because, oh man, oh man, like we we were talking about the positivity of social media earlier. This movie would incur the wrath of social. There would be so many think pieces. Oh yeah, so many douchebags. The trolls would that, be out. Oh my, the 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 left wing trolls would be out yes. in. Fierce, being you know, calling it a whitewash despite there only being one white guy in it, but that it's inauthentic because it's not in in Mandarin, and just everything about it would be, you know, endlessly think pieced and outraged, and it would be nightmarish that you so nightmarish that you could not make this movie. Ber Bernardo Bertolucci could not make this movie. This would be a movie that would be explicitly created by an Asian director. Because if not, then I feel sorry for the white guy who would be making this film because they would be dragged through the coals like Scarlett Johansson and Tilda <laughs> Swinton. It just would be, oh man! I and I and, and the thing about it is, is that um, 1987, I believe, the best foreign film that won was Babette's Feast. I don't remember that movie. If this movie had won best foreign language film, oh god, that would have I'd like. That I think would have been great because then you could have had another film sneak in the into you could have had Full Metal Jacket be uh the like another contender Empire of the Sun you could fucking I don't you, you uh, Princess any Bride one of the ones you talked about literally right? any other planes trains and automobiles amazing movie Spaceballs sure 
any one of those could have could have could have slotted in there. We could have a be having a much different conversation because I think as a foreign film, this would be totally fine. I would be I would be fine with that because it's not the best picture so much. It's the best foreign language film, and that I I I hate to say it, but it confers a different level of burden and respect upon it. It's like it's still a it's still a great feat, but to be the best picture. That comes with uh, that comes with responsibilities, and I do not find the Last Emperor um, really, really holding you know, holding those up uh, as as best it should. So um, we are running out of time. So final thoughts: Does the Last Emperor deserve? Did it deserve best picture? <sighs> um, short answer is. No, I think. And I think I'm going to just keep retreating back to the same thing we keep talking about, and that's that sense of universality. And I, I don't think this movie has a lot of that to grab onto. I don't think that's part of the movie's agenda, um, if I'm being fair, if I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't think that's what the movie was necessarily going for. But I think if you make a piece of art, you want it to be able to stand the test of time. And I think in terms of a historical document and in, in, in both the respects of the making of the film and the content of the film, I think that it, it, it does stand the test of time because it's wrapped right around history. But in terms of, I mean, compared to the other stuff we've looked at so far, um, I, I just, I look at this and I, I, I always watch the film with a new, new regard or new expectations thinking like, all right, is this worthy of, of best picture? Really? I mean, I think, you know, not, not even necessarily comparing it to what it was up against just on its own, would I have necessarily thought um, this would be worthy of it? And I, I have to say no, although in my head, and if I, I would say, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, I can totally see, and we talked about this already a little bit, why it was nominated and why it won. Oh, the kind yeah. of importance versus compellingness. Um, that's a word now, compellingness. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say no. I think the technical awards, 100%, yeah, a lot of them. Maybe not the editing, because it is kind of choppy in a sense. Um, but I think... I think direction alone, it's just a massive production. Yeah. Um, 19,000 19, extras. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. I, yeah. Yeah. Yes. No. I, I, no, I agree. I agree on that. It didn't because it, this is one of those films you go, oh, yeah, that movie won Best Picture. It, did, it, it, it feels like it has no weight outside of the one night, uh, the, the ceremony. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. I don't, there's nothing, uh, there, it, did not enter pop culture the way a lot of these films that have won Best Picture have done. It hasn't made an impression on things. Um, it is a technical feast. It's beautifully shot. The costumes are incredible. And I and yes, that is. This was the time when Oscar was really they loved these grand sweeping epics. Last Emperor, English Patient, Titanic, Lawrence Dances Arabia, with Wolves, oh, Dances right? with Wolves, all these big, massive movies about you know about stuff like that, and it it that it checks all the right boxes. But ultimately, like at the time, sure you would feel like yeah, that's probably going to win just be just based on that. But mm-hmm. looking back thirty years later, I don't think it really deserved it. You can make a strong case for Fatal Attraction, any of the other movies, but I, I don't think Last Emperor, picture best picture wise, give it all the technical awards, sure, but don't give it best picture. You know, let it be, let it be the the La La Land 
of mm-hmm. 1987 where it gets all these technical awards even gets director even gets director sure give it director mm-hmm. but let a smaller better more memorable film ultimately take home the prize mm-hmm. so uh this has been oscar watch we now shall roll the dice to see what we will be talking about next week matt do you want to go shall we go animated foreign or regular best picture winner um Let's just do regular Best Picture winner. Let's do regular Best Picture winner. Okay. okay. Sure. Uh, eight. Small number. Oh. Mutiny on the Bounty. The night. <laughs> oh, he's raising his hands in triumph. <laughs> I love I love Charles Lawton. I love Charles Lawton. Charles Lawton, Clark, Clark Gable, Gable. Francho yeah. Tone. The 1935 Best Picture winner. Mutiny on the Bounty. Ooh. I'm excited to be talking about that one. Uh, so there you have it, folks. This has been the review of The Last Emperor. Stay tuned next week when we're going to talk about the mutiny on the bounty. If you have liked what you have heard, you can find us at OscarWatchPodcast at gmail.com. Write us an email. If we, if you were thinking of one of those movies from the 80s, we'd love to, love to hear from you. Find us on social media at OscarWatchPod. Like, subscribe, and review on iTunes. We love hearing from you. Your reviews really do help get the podcast out there to more ears. And we love, love, love having you guys listen week in and week out. Matt, where can the folks find you? Uh, You guys can find me and uh, Paul Haggis, apparently, on Instagram (laughs) at um, movie underscore matinee, matinee with two Ts. I try to do a movie review a day. All the Oscar watch stuff is there. Sometimes pictures of dogs, sometimes other fun things like that so check me out like my stuff comment comments please comment i love when people comment it's it's so much fun to talk so yeah please, please he's do. got he's got he's got a great wit about him folks he's you're going through all of your movies right now right from in like al- in like alphabetical order or or haven't seen in a long time yeah so every time i get to a little chunk in my blu-ray i'm shelving I'll, I'm going to put the stack out, I'll take a picture, and I post it online and, and let people kind of um, choose what I will watch in what relative order. Um, yeah. and it was fun. Right? I'm having a good time, actually. It's good yeah. to finally trip up some of these movies. I have way too many I have not seen. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Uh, until next time, as always, we'll see you on the red carpet. Welcome to the end of eras. Ashes melted back to life. Done my time and served my sentence Dress me up and watch me die If it feels good, tastes good It must be mine Dynasty decapitated You just might see a ghost tonight And if you don't know, now you know I'm taking back the crowd